Good morning, church. Oh, that was weak. Let's try that again. Good morning, church. Oh, I like that much better. There are two songs in Christendom that resonate with the majority of, of adults in the faith. How great thou art and amazing grace. Fortunately for you, I will not be singing either one of them. Usually, you can't help but sing along when Jonathan begins to lead us in one of those hymns. Did you know that Elvis Presley won two Grammys and only two Grammys for his rendition of How Great Thou Art? Let me, as one of the local TV stations would say, connect the dots and tell you about how God brought this song into being. Because just as surely as I am standing before you, it was God's plan to have his children sing of his glory. And as I hope you learned from my last presentation in which you participated, God always has a plan. I hope you remember that. In 1885, Carl Boberg, a Swedish editor and future politician, was walking home in a bayside town located on Sweden's southeastern coast. A thunderstorm appeared on the horizon. Lightning flashed. Thunderclaps shook the air, sending Buberg running for cover. When the storm began to relent, he rushed home. He opened his windows to allow the fresh bay air in, and the vision of tranquility that greeted him stirred something deep in his soul. With the juxtaposition between the roaring thunderstorm and the idyllic calm as a background, Boberg sat down and wrote Ostergud, a poem that through a winding series of events would become How Great Thou Art. For some time, Ostergud was sung in, a, in Sweden to the tune of a Swedish folk song long since lost to history. In the early 1900s, Ostergud, which translates, O Mighty God, crossed the border and was sung in German. Then several years later, a Russian version appeared. But God was not done with this masterpiece of his. The first English version appeared in 1925, but it was a far cry from the song we know and love today. It would be another quarter of a century before the song developed into its now recognizable form. In the 1930s, Stuart Hine, an English missionary, was working in the Ukraine, and he and his wife would sing the Russian version of Ostergud with the people there. Hine sat down and translated Ostergud into English, what we would call the King's English. Now, as you know, translation is more art than science, and Hein took some liberties, most particularly with the title, which in 1949 he rechristened, How Great Thou Art. God, as we would say, was on a roll with this song of his. A British-American theologian and evangelist traveling in India heard the song. He liked it and had it performed at a conference for college students where he was speaking. I want to shorten the history of the song you're welcome, Jonathan. 
and tell you that among the audience was a man whose children were attending the college who was a member of the Sons of the Pioneers. Now, if you're my age, you'll know that that was Roy Rogers' band. And if you don't know who Roy Rogers was, Google it. <laughs> he bought the rights to the song and started publishing it uh, under his uh, music name, Mana Music. He convinced George Beverly Shea to sing it at a Billy Graham crusade in 1954. Well, as you can imagine, the rest, as they say, is history. Mr. Shea was captured by the song, and he began singing it on the radio before stadiums filled with people and on nationally televised crusades. In 1957, the Billy Graham crusade was televised at Madison Square Garden in New York, which ran for 16 weeks and was viewed by 96 million people every one of which heard George Beverly Shea sing, How Great Thou Art. It is now considered the second most popular Christian hymn after Amazing Grace. Famous secular singers known for their rendition of How Great Thou Art include, as I have said, Elvis Presley, Loretta Lynn, Tennessee Ernie Ford, and Carrie Underwood. Regardless of your favorite version, now you know the history of how God worked to bring this song from Sweden to the Ukraine, to Germany, to Russia, to India, and then to America. It traveled in language from Swedish to German to Russian to English, all to his glory. You see, God is all nationalities. He speaks all languages, and he will work his plan to his glory when, where, and how he sees fit. Can I get a pastoral amen? <laughs> Jonathan, take it away. Would you stand as we sing together how great thou art? Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die 
I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art when christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then i shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my god how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art amen you may be seated amen good singing church uh, good morning. We want to welcome everybody here today and thank you for worshiping with us. If you're a guest of ours, if you would reach in the pew rack in front of you and uh, take out a care card and fill that out as completely as possible, we would love to have a record of your attendance with us today. And everybody on the back of that care card, there's space provided. If there's a prayer need in your life, the staff would... Uh, ask you to fill that out so we can join you in praying this week uh, in staff meeting as we uh, divide those up and individually pray for those concerns. It would be our privilege to, to join you at the throne of grace in prayer. So if you would fill that out and uh, there's some boxes in the lobby as you leave today and uh, you can uh, drop that care card in those boxes attached to the wall. Uh, you know, a church family ought to look like a family in many ways, with grandparents, parents, uh, kids, and grandkids. And we're privileged with that here uh, at Pitts Baptist. Uh, various generations, some churches you go to and all you see uh, is gray hair, no young people. Other churches, all young people, no gray hair. Uh, we have both the energy of youthfulness, uh, the wisdom of older folks at the same time. Last week we had Youth Sunday and this week we're celebrating Senior Adult Sunday. And uh, this is an occasion that we will all enjoy one day if God gives us years to live long enough. We'll be senior adults. In fact, right now one in five Americans are senior adults. By 2030, 
it's projected to be one in four Americans will be senior adults. Growing population. So again, we want to celebrate our seniors today and thank them for their uh, steadfast service among us, their example, their testimony for Jesus. And uh, this day is to celebrate their contributions to the kingdom of God. And those seniors who picked up a ticket ahead of time in previous weeks for the luncheon today, we want to remind you uh, of the luncheon immediately following this service. Uh, let me give several other announcements, things you need to be aware of. Hopefully you get most of these in the Friday email blast. If you do, you're aware uh, of all of these. If you don't get that Friday email blast, you need to be ashamed and you need to sign up for it. But anyway, the Friendly Neighbors, the senior group, will have a luncheon this coming Tuesday in the core at 1130. And uh, you are being asked to decorate your individual table with non-perishable items that will be donated to the Baptist Children's Homes of North Carolina. And then in that email blast, you probably noticed we have 10 people graduating from college. Uh, we want to recognize them, Abigail Barfield, uh, Bailey Botello, Noah Deese, Jackson Hardister, Cameron Horn, Mackenzie Kimes, Emily Davis Miller, Christine Morris, Kristen Munseeger, and Corey Turner. And so when you see these folks or their family members, congratulate them. And uh, their parents have gotten a raise with the kids graduating. So that's good news for them. Uh, we really need you to sign up for VBS to serve. We need more people to serve across the board in Vacation Bible School. You can either sign up online to work or you can sign up in the lobby today. Likewise, we need you to register your kids and grandkids and you can do that online or in the lobby today, but please uh, take care of that. And speaking of serving, you know, Jesus said the one who is great is the one who is the servant of all. Our deacons are sponsoring some uh, servant teams that they want to invite you along with them to become a part of uh, doing things like yard work, home maintenance, tech support, vehicle maintenance, uh, and hospital visitation. If you would like to join the deacons when people call into the church office with needs in those areas, we want to put together teams in those uh, different areas that we can launch out from here and, and send those teams to those individuals to take care of these needs. There's a display in the lobby and you can find out more there and you can sign up for which category that you would like to be a part of serving in. Ladies, don't forget, today is your deadline for the, lady, the women's growth groups. So please drop by the information center today on your way out and sign up for that. And also this week, let's try to finalize all of our contributions to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American Missions. Uh, we wanna go ahead and wrap that up and thank you for your generosity and giving. But again, if you've not had that opportunity to give yet, uh, please do so this week. 
While I'm up here, let me go ahead and introduce our speaker for the day. It's, he's a personal friend. I've known Sammy Pierce for many years. He's no stranger to us now. Uh, the Lord brought he and his wife Joanne to us uh, oh, about a year or a year and a half ago. He retired from Hopewell Baptist Church in Davidson after being their pastor for 31 years. And he's been the chaplain at Taylor Glen, two doors up from us. He's been their new chaplain uh, for four months now. And so we look forward to hearing him today. You can go ahead and find Psalm 90 in your copy of the scripture, the text he's going to preach uh, today. Uh, he has, uh, as I mentioned, Joanne, his wife. Joanne, raise your hand or stand or something so we can see Joanne. Uh, remember her family in prayer. She lost her brother. And uh, they had the service, uh, lost one of her brothers. Well, I believe you told me all of your brothers now are deceased. But uh, they had the funeral yesterday at Roberta Methodist for her brother. So uh, please remember uh, Joanne and her family in your prayers. Uh, they have two sons and the best thing of all, six grandkids. And if you're a grandparent, you know how true that is. It's, it's a shame in a way we can't have them first. Amen? But uh, anyway, we will, uh, we will hear from Sammy gladly today as he breaks the bread of life to us. I'm going to invite Dan Thompson if he would come now for our scripture reading and our prayer time. Jonathan has selected for us uh, readings from Psalm 92 and 71. So I invite you now to hear the word of the Lord. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening, accompanied by the ten-stringed harp and the melody of the lyre. You thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you. You who had made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. They will remain vital and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no evil in him. Would you join me in prayer? 
Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your spirit who has called us together into your house to bring praise and worship and adoration up to you as a special sacrifice, Lord. We pray that our time together will be a sweet fragrance before you, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he has paid the price, Lord. He suffered and died on the cross to pay the price we can't pay for ourselves. Thank you, Father, for the time to give you praise and honor and adoration. Clear everything from our minds and our hearts and help us to focus on you, Lord. You are worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as we continue to praise his name and thankfulness for his blessed assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my side. Angels descending bring from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I in my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Come, thou fount of every blessing. 
Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise his name, I'm fixed upon it. Name of God's redeeming love. Hitherto thy love has blessed me. Thou hast brought me to this place. And I know thy hand will bring me safely home by thy good grace. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, bought me with his precious blood. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Amen. You may be seated.
Well, thank you, Handel Choir, our trumpeter. That was outstanding. If you ever need a picture of what teamwork is all about, there it is. That was wonderful. Thank you all very much. Uh, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be back up here before you today. Thank Pastor Scott for inviting me to do this. Uh, last week was Youth Sunday. This week is not. <laughs> last week, you heard two young men at the beginning of their ministry. Not now. <laughs> I've been doing this so long that when I started, I was young, skinny, and good looking. <laughs> now I'm only good looking. Uh, it's just it's a real, real shame. But anyway, uh, I, I appreciate you coming. You know, when, when you speak in the church the first time, people come out of curiosity. It's the second time you're asked. That makes everybody nervous. And so I'm, so I'm glad to see you. Thanks for coming. As Scott mentioned, if you would please turn to Psalm 90 in your copy of scripture, Psalm chapter 90. We're going to look at the first 12 verses of Psalm chapter 90, verses 1 through 12. I'll ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. The Bible says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, and the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger or your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to come. Thank you for the music we have already shared in, the opportunity to sing your praises. And Lord, as we come now to the spoken message, we ask that you will take all that is done today. Use it, O oh God, to speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. May we focus our lives on you now as we think about what it means to live a life dedicated to you. We pray this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Senior Adult Sunday. So we're going to talk about the elephant in the room. How old is old? Now we know how old we are. That one's easy. We've got that figured out. But when do you get old? Now I think that's a much harder question to answer. I don't think it's nearly as easy as some might think. And I think part of the reason for that is old depends on your perspective. Let me show you what I mean by that. When you're three, your eight-year-old brother is old because he knows the ways of the world. He knows things that you don't know. He knows words that you've never said. He knows more about getting in trouble than you do. And the thing is, he's more than willing to teach you all of those things 
that your parents would just assume you not know. When you're 12, old is however age your parents are. Doesn't make any difference if in their 30s, their 50s, it does not matter. When you're 12, your parents are old. And not only are they old, they don't know anything either. <laughs> Looking around the room, I see some 12 years going, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. When you're 18, 19 in that general area, then 30 is old. I don't think we mind our 20s too much because that's the age when you become fully legal, finish your formal education, start your career, get out on your own. Yeah, that's not bad. But 30? That's like you leave the fun part of life behind and move into the everyday humdrum, same old, same old of life. And that's old when you're 18 or 19 years old. But then when you reach 30, an amazing thing happens. Old becomes very fluid all of a sudden when you get to 30. There's not one age that is old when you move into your 30s. I think the formula is this. Old is 15 years more than whatever you are at the time. If you're 30, then 45 is old. When you reach 40, 55 is old. When you reach 50, 65 is old. And you see it just keeps going. Because suddenly what we used to think was old, well, it's not quite as old anymore as it was back in the other days. And the reason is, of course, because we keep hitting those mile markers. You know, we keep getting there. The idea of being 66, I used to think was ancient. Now, well, it is. Um, <laughs> as I prepared for the message this morning, I have identified a number of thresholds in America that show that you are getting old. For instance, the first time someone gives you a senior citizen's discount, you know you're getting old. Happened to us at a Hardee's in Huntersville. Joanne and I went in there one morning to have breakfast. The young man behind the counter handed me the, the, or told me how much I owed, and I thought, no, that's not right. That, that math doesn't add up. And then she leans over and she says to me, he gave you the discount. <laughs> I said, what discount? The preacher's discount? She said, no, honey, he gave you the old man's discount. <laughs> I said, gee, thanks. And then when you reach 50, you open your mailbox one day, and there is your invitation to join the American Association of Retired Persons, AARP, because somehow they know when every single person on the planet turns 50. I don't know how they know that, but they do, and you get that invitation to join AARP. Then you reach 62, and the government tells you you can start drawing your Social Security when you reach 62. Then you get to 65, and you signed up for Medicare when you reach 65. So these are all signs that you are now surely old. Well, today we're going to look at a passage that puts all of this into perspective. Now, in some ways, the verses we read just a few moments ago can be depressing. But I hope instead of depressing you, they will help put the years of your life into their proper context, no matter how old you are. This message is not just for senior citizens, even though it's Senior Adult Sunday. It speaks to all of us, regardless of age. Our passage is Psalm 90. We notice something interesting about this psalm right at the beginning. A lot of your Bibles will have a little comment right after the book and the chapter number. It tells you something about that particular psalm. If your Bible has that, notice this one. 
It was a psalm by Moses. But when we think about the psalms, we don't usually think about Moses. We think about David, right? Because David wrote most of the psalms. And so this one's a little bit different. It's written by Moses. And we're told that it's a prayer of his. And we're told that Moses was a man of God. We know from his story that he had the chance to talk with and experience God on a, poor, on a more personal level than possibly anybody else ever has. He got so close to the glory of God that God had to hide him in the crack of the rocks on Mount Sinai to keep him from being blown away by God's glory. Well, as we look at these 12 verses in these psalms, we get a contrast between life according to God's perspective and life from ours. Look at the difference between time in God's realm versus time in ours. Moses reminds us that before anything was created, God was. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Before there was even time at all, until the time when time will be no more, God is. He is from forever to forever. God has no beginning. He has no date of, he has no date of death. There will not be a time of death recorded for God. And then look at his perspective on our time. In verse 4, we're told a thousand years are no more to God than yesterday. A thousand years. No more significant to him than the last 24 hours are to us. But Moses doesn't stop there. Since God is before time, since God is after time, then time simply doesn't mean the same to God as it does to us. He says the thousand years are like a watch in the night. This was a four-hour period when a soldier would be on guard. This is just a reminder of how awesome God is. He is so great that time means nothing to him. The way I put it in the past is God does not wear a wristwatch. He's not concerned. He's not constrained by time. He sees everything that has ever happened and everything that ever will. He's able to step into time whenever he wants to and make whatever impact he wishes to make. He is a great and a mighty God who deserves our worship and deserves our praise. Now, us, we, people on the other hand, we're totally constrained by time. We feel its limitations every single day that we live. We set clocks to make sure we get up at the right time. One of the greatest inventions known to man is the snooze alarm. <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one who does this. I set mine early enough to be able to hit that snooze button at least twice before I get up. Anybody else do that? I do have a question, though. Maybe some of you can answer it for me. Uh, not now, because I'm busy. But, af but after the service, why did they decide nine minutes does yours, does yours go nine minutes before the alarm goes off again why nine why not five why not ten something easy because when I'm going to bed at night I have to take a calculator and figure out when to set my clock because if I set it at this time and I wait then nine minutes later it's going to go off again and that's really frustrating why nine one of the imponderables of life we have calendars and schedules to make sure that we're supposed to be where we're supposed to be, when we're supposed to be there. One of my greatest fears as a pastor was to always forget something I was supposed to show up for. I had a colleague of mine who forgot to show up for a wedding. <laughs> yeah, that's what the bride and groom said. <laughs> yeah, that scared, man, that scares me. 
Quick story. We lived next door to the house, to the, to the church when we were in Davidson. We walked out one Saturday night. We were going out to dinner, I think, with some family of ours or whatever. We walked out, and standing on the porch of the church was obviously a bride and a groom because they looked like the top of a wedding cake. She was dressed in the beautiful gown. He had on his tux. And we walked out the door, and Joanne looked at me, and she said, were you supposed to marry them? <laughs> I said, boy, I hope not. <laughs> If I was, I'm in big trouble. And so I had to stop and ask, right? We, we were going, I, I had to. She said, are you going to stop? I said, yeah, I'm going to stop. I said, not supposed to be anybody over there doing a wedding today. What's up there? So I stopped and I walked up to the porch. I said, um, excuse me. I said, I'm the pastor of the church. Do you mind if I ask what's happening here? And they said, oh, no, pastor, we, we appreciate that. I said, our reception is going to be across the road at River Run. And we're going to go in on a horse and buggy, and we're waiting for them to pick us up here. And we thought the front of your church was kind of old, classic-looking, and we decided to take some pictures in front of it. And I just hugged their neck. I said, thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> I said, you take all the pictures you want to take. You take them all. I'll even take them for you if you want me to. I was so glad because I was scared to death I had forgotten to do their wedding. We learn to multitask so we can do more with the time that we have. Time matters to us. In verse 5, we see that our lives look really short in the context of how God sees time. He says our lives are like a dream. You know how dreams are. One minute you're right in the middle of one, it seems as real as what you did earlier in the day. You are right there in the middle of it. You can see and you can hear and you can feel as though you're living it out. And then the alarm goes off. Or you have to get up for some other reason in the middle of the night. And all of a sudden the dream is gone. And a lot of times, as real as it was, you don't even remember what it was about. You've completely forgotten the dream. Moses also says our lives are like grass that is watered with the dew during the night and flourishes in the morning. But then as soon as the heat of the day wears on it, it dries up. And by the evening it withers away. Life goes by quickly. Again, as I look around, particularly up there, you hear an old guy like me say that, and you're going, yeah, right. Life doesn't go that quickly. Man, I can't, I'm waiting for my birthday. It's never going to get here. It's never going to get here. Especially if you're 15 and you're waiting for that 16th one so you can go get your accident permit. You don't think that 16th birthday is ever going to get here. Trust me, when you get older, it'll go by much quicker than you ever realize. It will go by so fast. Verses 4 through 9 remind us that death is coming to God's creation because of sin. When God created the world, death was not his original intention. It was introduced in Genesis 2 when he told Adam he could eat from every tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God told him, if he ate from that, tea, from that tree, he would surely die. And we know the rest of the story. Adam and Eve gave in to the temptation of the serpent, and they died spiritually there and then because they became separated from God. They died physically later, but death happened right at that moment. Here we see that death came on the scene from God's wrath. That was the punishment for our sin. And because of death, our lives moved quickly. 
In verse 10, we see that our lives typically last from 70 to 80 years. Isn't it interesting that Moses wrote those words thousands of years ago? And yet they're still accurate today. According to the CDC, the average lifespan today is 76.1. Now all of us know we'll die. It's part of being human. It's part of, part of the deal. It's just going to happen. The last time I checked the odds in Las Vegas, the odds that you're going to die are one out of one. It happens to all of us because we're not designed to live for eternity. Come on, do you really want to live like this for all of eternity? Every morning you wake up and something different hurts. Every day something else is, you know, it's hard because our bodies begin to break down over time because they're not designed to last forever. Death is a part of the human condition. All of us are going to die. We know that. It's interesting that a lot of people will tell you that they don't want to die. And yet we do a lot to plan for it. We buy life insurance to take care of our loved ones financially after we're gone. We write our will so there'll be no arguing over the vast fortune that we will leave behind. I think it'd be a whole lot easier just to spend it all. That way you don't have to worry about your kids arguing over it. That's what I've told both my boys. I'm spending every penny of it and leave you the visa bill. <laughs> That's what's in my will for them. That's what they get. We make health care decisions now so that our families won't have to make them later. We arrange for cemetery plots so we'll know where our bodies will be buried. We often talk to a pastor or our family about the plans for our funeral service. We pick out the clothes we want to be buried in, the songs we want sung, the scripture we want read, and the stories that nobody had better tell. We deal with our spiritual condition so that we will know when we die where we're going to spend eternity after we leave here. We plan for our death. We do all this stuff to get ready for when we die. But how much do we plan for our life? We don't know how long we'll live. We don't know how many days we'll have. Doctors may try to estimate how long it might be, but they don't know. They don't know. We have a God that has everything in the universe in his hand. And that includes us. So while the evidence may indicate a time period for us, God may decide to either shorten or lengthen that time. We simply don't know how many days we have left. And that doesn't matter if you are in your 90s sitting in this room this morning or if you haven't even made it to 10 yet. You don't know how long you're going to have. That means we need to squeeze as much out of every day as we possibly can. That's why it's important for us to number our days according to verse 12. Andy Stanley says another way of looking at this is to teach us to live if all of our days are numbered. Live as though it might be our last day. Look at the promise that comes with this. We're told if we number our days, we gain a heart of wisdom. God helps us see that our lives are limited, and he gives us wisdom on how to make the most out of however many days we have left. Now, we will actually do this on occasion. Watch this. If you have a big event coming up, special vacation, a wedding, an exam, a presentation that you have to make, you'll mark the day on the calendar. You'll circle it. This is the day. 
And then you'll begin to X those days off leading up to it. You will number your days. It's this many days. It's eight days till we leave for, leave for Disney. It's five days before my final. It's three days before I have to make that talk. You begin to number your days. And as that date gets closer, you get more serious about preparing for the event that's coming up. You want to make sure you're ready. You get more focused. You prioritize things a whole lot better because you know a deadline is coming and you've got to be ready. Well, we need to live life in general like this. We need to decide how to spend however many days we have left. What are we going to focus on? What are we going to put most of our energy into? One of the ways that I think you can tell this, and I've used this statement before, and sometimes I get the strangest looks from people. You want to know what you focus on in your life? You want to know how you tell? What do you think about when you don't have anything to think about? When you don't have something specific that you have to plan for, something specific that you've got to think through, something specific that you've got to focus on, what do you think about when you don't have anything to think about? That'll help you understand some of this. What dreams are you going to chase? See, we need to focus on the everlasting God who made the decision to bring us into this world for however long we're here and seek to fulfill the reason and the purpose he placed us here for. Because that is how you'll get the most out of your life, no matter how old you are today. We need to live our lives knowing that we only have so much time here. And then, as we're told, we're going to stand before this everlasting God. He's going to want to know what we did with all the talents and all the abilities and everything that he put into us, all the opportunities that came our way. The question will not be salvation if you already know Jesus as your Savior. It will be, what did you do with your life? And we're going to have to account for that. He's given you so much to use. What would you do with it? What would you do with it? That's how we need to live, knowing that we stand before him one day. So we need wisdom from the one whose days are not numbered. For us whose days are numbered. We need the everlasting one to show us how he wants us to live and why he has us here for whatever time he chooses to give us. Let me take you back to the Old Testament just a second. Remember the story of Esther? Remember Mordecai is trying to get the queen to go talk to the, to the king and let him know that this guy named Haman was out to destroy all the Jewish people? She told Mordecai, I can't do that because you don't just walk in to have a chat with the king even if you are the queen. If he doesn't hold out his scepter to you to welcome you in the room, he can have you killed. You don't just go walking in and say, hey, king, how was your day? It doesn't work like that. And so she told him, I can't, I can't do that. Mordecai responded to her with probably what are the most well-known words of that entire book. In chapter 414, he sent her this message. Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So I think we need to look at our lives and ask ourselves the question. Could it be that we're here for such a time as this? Has God placed us in this place at this time under these circumstances for a particular, special, God-inspired reason? 
Hey, if, if, if life is more than a, than a biological accident, doesn't it make sense that the God of the universe would put us here for a specific reason? We're not here just because some accident took place and we were born one day. It doesn't work that way. He's got to have a reason for our being here. And God has decided for us to live now, today. We're not living in the days of the Old Testament. We're not living in the days of Jesus. We're not living in the days of the Depression. We're not living in the time where there were no cell phones, no internet, and no social media. And kids, I know it's hard for you to believe, but that was not that long ago. A lot of us in here remember the days when we walked around. We didn't know what a cell phone was. And then they finally came on the scene. Remember your first one? For most of you, if you're like me, it was a bag phone. Remember? Bag phone, big as a lunch box. You had to carry that thing. The first time I ever saw one, some dude walked into the hospital downtown and had one of those things. I thought, boy, he must be some kind of government spy. He's walking around with his phone, boy, everywhere he goes. It was, it was a big deal, and it had the cord on it and all that. A cord. That's the thing that used to hook your phone. The receiver to the rest of the phone. Go home and check the, the images. It'll, it'll show you what a telephone cord was. And they were, much, well, never mind. We don't live in those days anymore, and a lot of us wish we did. But we don't. And I got news for you. We're not going back. You may not like the way things are. You may wish that society was different. You can wish that all you want to. But we're not going back. We're only going to move forward. And so God has us here today, May the 7th, 2023. And we need to live out our lives with the understanding that for whatever the reason, God wants us here in this time and this place. We won't be here forever. As of this day, I have lived 24,398 days. Yep. Took me a long time to figure that out. <laughs> no, actually, I Googled it. 24,398 days. Here's the thing. I don't know how, I don't have any idea how many more days God will leave me here. No way to know. You may get a call this afternoon, you may get word this afternoon, Sammy didn't make it home. The last thing he did was preach that sermon. It's possible. It's possible. Because I got to drive on Highway 29 today. <laughs> yeah. So it's possible. I may not even make it home after church. This may be the last thing I do. Each of us will only live so many days. And it doesn't matter how many days we've lived so far. We have a birth date. And we will have a time of death. The question is. And the question I leave you with this morning. How will we live out. The time. That God has given us. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? May we live it with his wisdom, guiding and directing our every day. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the lives that you have given us. 
for putting us in this place at this time. And Lord, we just believe we're here for a particular reason. Oh God, may we find the purpose of our lives. May we seek wisdom from you. And then Lord, may we fill our lives living for you, being all that you would have us to be. Oh Lord, help us to make that commitment today, we pray. And I ask it for every one of us in this room this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I am a big fan of the comedian Ken Davis. I don't know if that name rings a bell with you or not. Ken Davis is a Christian comedian, one of the funniest men I've ever met. I had the chance to actually shake his hand and meet him on a cruise once. Such a nice man. Ken Davis wrote a book not long ago called Fully Alive. In that he quoted some old guy, I don't remember who it was, but said that the glory of God is man fully alive. Ken Davis says that when you get to heaven, you shouldn't walk in all you know, clean and pressed and everything. He said you ought to slide into the gates and just fill with as much life as you can possibly be and get up and say, man, what a ride. That's living fully alive. That's what it means to number your days. But listen to me closely. The only way to truly live in this way is to have a relationship with God through his son Jesus. Because until you're ready to die, you are not ready to live. You've got to be ready because you never know. So I'm going to help you this morning to get ready. How are you ready to die? It's by having a relationship with Christ. First, you have to confess your sins. That's where you have to begin. Because you will not seek a savior until you're willing to admit that you need one. As long as you tell yourself, you're okay with God, I'm a good person, I'm better than the guy on the pew next to me, as long as you live that kind of life, you'll never come to Christ. It's only when you're willing to confess your sin and go before God and say, I am a sinner, just as your Bible says. And then you've got to believe who Jesus is, the Son of God who came to this earth to give his life as a ransom to pay the penalty for our sins, died on a cross, but then three days later was raised from the dead to validate everything we believe about him. How do I know I'm right when I talk about Jesus? How do, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, I don't know that I believe this whole Jesus thing. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, but I'll tell you one thing. I said, what? He said, I believe you believe it. One of the greatest compliments I've ever been paid. I believe you believe it. How do I know I'm right? Because of the resurrection. That's how I know I'm right. Because there is no other religious system in the world that has a living Savior who died on a cross to pay the penalty for the sin of his people and then God raised him from the dead to live again. Jesus is the only one. That's how I know I'm right. And then you have to place your faith in him. That doesn't mean that you agree that he lived and that you agree. That doesn't mean that you agree about Jesus. It means that you go before God and you ask God to forgive you of all of your sins through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross because you realize there is no other way to get God's forgiveness. He is never going to send another Savior. He is never going to accept another Savior. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone. And you have to go to God in faith. Ask him. Then you repent. Fancy word, repent. It means change the way you're living. If your life is moving in this direction away from God, you come to Christ, you repent, and you turn around and you move your life in this direction. You stop living. You stop living for your mama, for your daddy, for your boyfriend, for your girlfriend, for your husband, for your wife, 
for the person you hope will be your husband or wife. You stop living for all of them. And you get in the footprints of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you walk as he would walk. And you live for him. That's what it means to repent. It's more than just being sorry. I've heard people say, I repented of my sin. I'm sorry for what I did. Yeah, but did you change anything? Well, no, but I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Not the same thing as repentance. Repentance is a change. And that's what you do for Christ as you live forward. Number your days. Live for him. Make them count. Pastor Scott will be here at the front to greet anyone who needs to come and to speak with him.